and welcome to the Ride It Out podcast, the official podcast of Summon Axe, the world's wildest car festival. My name's Jay Benz and I'm joined by my mate, Owen Webb, aka Webby. Mate, what's happening? Plenty happening, mate. I've been out and about this week and, uh, geez, it feels good to get out, do a bit of cruising, a bit of driving, so enjoying it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I can't say I've stepped foot in my garage yet to work on the cars. I'm <laughs> still uh, doing those chores for all the uh, I've left over from isolation, so... <laughs> I'll get to them soon, I promise, because I know everybody, all my mates are hustling me to get the cars going and ready and stuff like that. Because there's going to be a car event soon, somewhere. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Everybody should be getting their car ready because it's definitely going to be a car show on. And I know that um, the second is a car show, I'm going to be the first person to line up outside and get ready to, be, you know, to get in there. Aren't we all? Tonight's show will kick off with Rob Beecham, who won top judge at the very first three summer nights in a row. What a legend, Webby, eh? Absolutely, with that beautiful VL. Absolutely, and ahead of its time, I think, that, that yeah, car, yeah. you know. And that car's still going strong today, as you will find out um, when, it, when we interview him. It's a question I'm going to ask him. And then we have rugby league royalty and my childhood hero, <laughs> Rod Wishart, who has uh, become quite a heavy player in the, in the car industry uh, over the last decade or so. Is that right, Webby? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He's got a very, very good business supplying um, automotive products to the trade, so yeah, and he and you and um, I'm sure we'll ask him about cars and like some Ameri- American muscle cars. Absolutely, and then we have one of Summonat's favourite sons and drag racing legend Victor Bray, who will also be joined by Victor's son Ben, who has forged his own successful drag career. What a legend of yeah. the Summonat's Victor is! Absolutely, yeah, mate. We got uh, some real royalty, rugby league, and and drag racing royalty with us tonight. So great. We are here with the grand champion of the first Summonats, Rob Beecham. Mate, how are you going? I'm going well, Josh. How are you, bud? Very good, mate. Very good. Hey, Rob, look, thanks for joining us, mate. I remember back in the day that uh, you had this beautiful LX Tirana from the early Street Machine Nationals, and then you turned up at the first Summonats with the current VL Calais Commodore. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's just unbelievable. What a, what a, this remember blowing everybody's mind. So what's your first Summonats memories? Uh, look, turning up at the Simon Nats with a VL was incredible. Um, I'm pretty sure when I got there, it broke the judging sheets. So <laughs> yes. that was the start, of, the start of things. But look, while it received tremendous amount of support, it copped some um, criticism, you know, with blurring the lines with the normal back then. But hey, you know, look where we are now. I was going to get you to comment on that because, interestingly enough, I was uh, involved with the judging then and we absolutely embraced it all and saw all this this pro street and these new cars coming. But before that, cars had only really just turned up. Uh, everybody drove them. And then you and Howard Astle and a couple of us turned up on trailers. So it was fairly controversial at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, look, it was. And, you know, I came from a drag racing background and, and, you know, my enjoyment was probably going on the track more than anything else. But over the years with all the state shows and everything else we had going on, yeah, you'd learn to make a car look how it should do. And, you know, yourself, me, you know, the people like Cole Chapman, my paint guys, my body guys, things like that, we all knew what direction we had to go in. Um, yeah. And, you know, temptation was just too great. I really um, I want to be one of the first ones to build a car, model a car and make a statement. And I'm pretty sure that's yeah. going to be what <laughs> You definitely did that. So what um, I'm thinking you got Bill Jones from memory to do that. So Well, you know, we came up with a plan. Fortunately, back in the day, I got on well with a lot of people with um, old dealership up in Queensland. So sourcing panels, you know, started off with a damaged car. Sourcing panels for repair is good. Um, 
as I said, wanting to put a current model car together for an event like that in Australia, I thought it would be pretty groundbreaking. Um, I didn't realise the goods and the flack it was going to cause along the way, but, you know, it worked out good. Jonesy, and I think 201 back then, we had, prior to that going on, after the Toronto had finished being shown, there was a two-year gap in events. So that yeah. gave me the opportunity when the Toronto was finished. It was a two-year opportunity to get hold of the car, do what I had to do, and, and debut it down there. Did your mates, Rob, think you were nuts pulling apart a brand-new car? <laughs> Anything I ever did with cars, they all had that opinion. But, you know, like, <laughs> the boy thought he was nuts. <laughs> I picked up that. The Toronto was a, like a, an LX Sunbird. It was, it was a basket case. It came from a local shop with no drivetrain in it. Being a Sunbird, yep. that was to be expected. Um, within a week, it had tubs in it. You know, the shed was fitted in place. Turbo Hydro was in it. The trimmer had been down to mock up the seats so the tubs would stand out and the seat was still operational. Yeah. So, yeah, we started doing things. And, look, back then, there was a grey line with what could be street-driven, not street-driven, but yeah. not like it is now. Um, got away with a fair bit. <clears throat> enjoyed the process. Every car I did, you know, we certainly built them to be quite a reliable and good car, but every time you went to the track and saw something, you almost tried to feed that back into your road car. So I was watching back the Summer Nats 1 videotapes the other day and I'm just the car cruising along the street. That car was ahead of its time, you know, like, honestly, yeah, I think look, the styling and everything is just like, that would fit in today, straight away. It's, well, it still does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, as a, as a, the first bill was the, it turned up charcoal, which yeah. was a real yes. classy look. I kept the Calais image alive. External, it was great. And look, when I pull the car around the trailer, I just remember lining up to the possible judging and scrutineering shed there. And the crowd was 20 deep. You couldn't get near your own car. Some of the comments flying around were incredible, laughable, and, and good to listen to. But, you know, <laughs> I, know for, I know once the car got there, it was going to open up a can of worms and, you know, time will show it. Sure did, but, you know, the best part about some of that was being able to do the street cruise, getting out and doing that in a car yeah. like that. It was amazing. Unbelievable. Like, yeah. Every time you went out there, we had people physically stopping the traffic, traffic. The car was surrounded. Fortunately, the car was running on methanol, so we got a chance to clean them pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, everything went on. But, you know, even through the cruise, my good mate Ken and even Daryl Pick, you know, at times we had to run together. I obviously had other conditions out there that were quite impressed with the car because we'd only go a few k's into the cruise and through the window would come the odd hot dog, drink, and all sausage roll. So I figured they were looking out for us along the way. Possibly something to do with the driving events. Can I ask one more one like one question? Is that did you get the uh, the car from a dealer and the dealer's like, oh, you're going to enjoy this with your family? Like, no, I'm going to completely strip it. No, no, that's <laughs> never going to happen. That comment flew around for a few bit. I would be crazy to do that, but yeah. no, fortunately, it was damaged enough. I like okay. my car. The panels were you know, replaceable, and yeah. Uh, yeah, from there we went on. Okay, yeah, nice. Actually, you said something there which I totally forgot, and that it was charcoal for a year or two. I, re- I basically remember it in the Burgundy, but yeah. um, it was charcoal, wasn't it, originally? Yeah, that's right, yes. And now it's still in the Burgundy colour, so it's... it's, um, it's yeah, that's right. And the reason the colour like change, yeah. change came too, because it was raced so regularly, and it was, we were only probably talking within months of the event happening down there, the car was still being raced. Unfortunately, with you know, the guys I had, and trust me, without, you know, the most reliable guy I could imagine, Daryl Pick, Helder Lee, Ken Austin, Chris Chams, Glenn Wester, the car would not never have been there. One of those guys had missed it. It was never going to make that show. We had a race up in Mackay. 
where through unfortunate circumstances, a guy beside me rolled over in the traps. You know, he got out of it okay. His car you know, was turned into a ball, but, you know, the front of the Calais, it was just destroyed back to the windscreen. Um, yeah, right. That was Didn't know that. Yeah, and that, that took a lot of guys a lot of time to get back to what we're talking windscreens, paint damage, grills, headlights, flats, bars, you know, but we just caught, caught the brunt of a nasty accident and that's racing. Yeah. You go to those things and those things happen. Yeah, yeah, that's racing. Yeah. One thing I really remember on that car, it's just interesting, you've reminded me of quite a few things. And when you did pull up at judging and, and we were talking, I think that car won top interior and that got everybody really talking because that was probably the first car that came through without any trim as such because it was all was the best polished aluminium work I'd ever seen. <laughs> yeah, i got to thank Cole Chapman for that. I sent the car to him when he had a shop over at uh, Smallwood Street. And as you know, Cole, yeah. when it comes out, aluminium work and welding, I just sort of gave him a bit of a free run, gave him an idea what I would, I would like. And, um, you know, what Cole conceived and came up with was what we saw down there. And every single piece was handmade, hand welded, set away and polished. It was, it was a work of art. Wow. I saw you nod your head then when uh, I said it went top interior because, like I said, it didn't have any real trim. And to get top interior, people go, what? What the hell? What's going on with that? <laughs> that? That might have been the sausage roll through the window. Yeah, there you go. But see, that's the thing. And, and because I was on the other side and, and had cars as well, but then sort of judging it, I really embraced it. It was, uh, I thought, man, what we're, what we're getting into now, the whole scene's just going to explode. And it did, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And look, I can understand, looking from a judge's point of view, which is not, not a mirror I play in, I guess you judge things on their merits in the, the amount of work required to get that level of finish. Yeah. So whether you're sewing a seat, making a seat or rolling aluminium and, and you know, shaping, the work with ship was amazing. And that's why Chick um, had that, it made a whole new judging system with experienced people so they could actually judge these cars that were coming through. So, Absolutely, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like you won three years in a row, that got top judged, didn't it, that car? We won three, the trial won once, and I'm pretty sure it might be right up there with you know, probably a pretty good result for anybody to have done. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty pretty amazing. Mate, after that, you've had a few years in the wilderness, or I know you're around, but then you built this awesome Chevy Nova, like that car again. Um, it wasn't quite so controversial, but uh, tell us a bit about that car. Oh, look, it came about, um, again, it was a car that probably wasn't mainstream, obvious, in our country, but, you know, probably like you and a lot of other people that follow the car scene. It was a standout car in the 60s in America, and it had a big Absolutely. And you know, through a shop up the north coast and a couple of people I knew it, it was actually brought in the country to be a parts car to be cut up for another project. And to be honest, when I bought it, when it came home on the trailer, I think most of the friends wanted to continue under the tip. I think all I ended up with, I think I ended up with a um, import papers, body tags and a roof. And the rest was virtually non-existent. Yeah, yeah, but you know what, it was in the country, it was there to start with, and I had an idea what I wanted to do. Well, that was probably a good two or three years of serious hard work with, again, the people I mentioned earlier that you know, have always had my back on that sort of project. And Ken Austin, who was a you know, great friend and painter who lives down New South Wales now, I think he stayed in my place for three months, and that was just continual welding. Yeah, wow. So, I mean, the so, car had... Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, so that, so that car was basically Commodore running gear, wasn't it? In a, around that figure it was, but um, yep. you know, we, we left the, the true basis of the car with the majority of 
using firewalls in place, but we made everything we needed to adapt to make all the current features and, and modern car work. So yeah. it was probably the ultimate as far as that dream everyone has about, you know, a 60s car having all the mod cons. Yep. This car had everything. I mean, we're talking ABS track, air, speed alert, you know, fuel low sensing. Um, it had, you know, all the oversized PBR brakes and the thing. Um, but there was nothing on that car that, you know, modern Calais didn't have. Yeah, wow. And I know that when it was finished to an elite standard, you, you qualified for Superstars one year and brought it to Motorex. So, yeah, that goes to show yeah, how well it was built. Yeah. And again, too, like, you know, having to make the current model car seats fit that car, like I go to Trimmer Shane from the Gulf Coast, the industry, who did a fantastic job making firstly Commodore seats size up and fit that floor plan. And the car itself just looked like, like we have into a lot of trouble narrowing Commodore dashes and, you know, filling and moving things around. So, you know, there was nothing on the car that didn't work and there's still things in that car. I'm not sure that Johnny the nose is in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and speaking of that, that made me even, again, learn probably the most thing that surprised me of all that you actually sold that car. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, look, that was a hard thing to do. But at the time, this is going back three, four years, we were in between houses on the move, had things going on. It probably wasn't a great car to live in storage for a couple of years anywhere. Um, the opportunity came up. John came along. He's a great guy. He owns a high-end shop on the Gold Coast. Okay. He's, a, he owns, he's the right guy to have the car, and I'm sure that you know, he's appreciated everything the car is about. Yeah, yeah. And that car was all legal, wasn't it? You got that fully fully re- engineered and registered. Yeah. We had a few bumps along the way. Um, it was all up and going for a year or two, and... And then we had a bit of a call up from transport to just re-verify a couple of things. That went down a bit of a grey road for a while, but um, so we had an engineer get on, on board. car actually came back through with flying colours. Oh, we had a few, a few things to delete just to satisfy transport, but apart from that, you know, the cars were clean bill of health. We were interested in in the country and you know, everybody walked away out. So what are you driving these days? Uh, look, these days um, I actually came across a second-gen Camaro a little while back. Had it for a couple of years. It was your typical car out of the US, the guy had in Australia. He probably had the best camouflage job with bog, bog work I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> no, there's, um, there's plenty of those, mate. <laughs> yeah, it started off with, um, you know, a good friend Bruce Johnson who lives on the Bayside, has a patent panel shop there. I went in one weekend, we thought we'd play with a few bubbles in the backyard and a couple of marks around the windscreen A-frame. Three weeks later, it's blasted back the metal and here we go. So, <laughs> You know, it caught a bit of a major restoration. Um, Bruce, you know, typically did his, a really good job on the car. And at the end of the day, he ended up tidying up all the loose ends with the bodywork, getting the body to a really presentable position. He applied a really nice red pearl paint to the car. It's quite standout in the daylight. And from there, with the car as it was, back, as I said, to my go-to trimmer, Shane, at his trim. We had to go to him. Uh, Shane actually... Um, he came up with a great idea. He sort of modernised the interior from there. You know, the car has just been an enjoyable car for Jen and I to use. And we hope to get it out and you know, about soon. Once all these restrictions are over, I'm sure that uh, we'll be you know, both fun. But, yeah, it's probably the, the latest toy I've got. It's it's a reasonable day show. You know, it's not going to turn up in motor actually, but it's a great jump in a use anytime car. Yeah, the cars and coffee and all those type Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely. sort of stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. So what, um, what do you actually do for, for a living now? I'm, 
I'm guessing, uh, oh, well, you know, you've been around for a long time working on cars. So what are you doing now? Yeah, look, I'm a mechanic by trade, and uh, the hobbies are helping learn other areas in the, in the car scene. Um, nowadays, I get to take on the occasional restoration of people. Um, I also get into a lot of projects that have stored for people over the years and get them restarted again, and that's all pretty good. Um, and I have a few clients with a couple of car collections that, you know, on occasions I service, maintain, and whatever they need, I usually look up. Yeah, that's a, that's a, you said something there was really interesting that there is so many projects out there that never get finished for so many reasons, isn't it? So somebody like you looking out for them, and that's a little bit what I'm trying to do as well, and trying to get some of these projects finished for people. Yeah, and look, it's good. And most of these people are seriously, you know, life gets in the way, work gets in the way, family gets in the way. They know when to stop and they know when to start again. So if I can get out there and help the occasional person with that sort of job, and look, I may not get to finish it, I'm loving that. I'm loving that that entrance shirt in the background there, Rob. That's that looks mad retro. That shirt. That's going down. I think Owen's probably got a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was that one or two? Um. I know it was early. Mate, I think that's going. Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Number one. Number one. Yeah, after the corona and the first time for the Commodore, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Does it smell like mothballs? It's been in the cupboard for a while, or what's the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The back of it's missing the useful polish rag. <laughs> Mate, so do you catch up with any of the, the other guys that you were sort of big with at the time, you know, Carlson and, and um, all no, those guys? No, not really. Um, yeah, look, it's a pretty big world out there. I mean, yeah. I'm happy to work full time all the way through the whole process. We bump into people around the old car show and things like that. And yeah, we have a good laugh and kick around all times, but you now things have really progressed and moved on. And you know, things are in a pretty good spot at the moment. Like the shops out there doing the work they do, the sort of cars coming out, the competition, is, you know, couldn't be at a better level. Motor X slips at the bar every time that comes up there. It gives yeah, people cool. a real good direction of you know, where to go and what's going on. What, how do you feel when you see, um, Kid in the Toronto when he runs that like a high. Um, is he run sixes in that? I know he's run sevens. Yeah. 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 Sure yeah. So how do you, how do you feel when you see hey, that? Great. I mean, probably one of the nicest things I can imagine is I believe my Toronto is still running around South Australia somewhere. Kid stop the Commodore going. That's fine. The Nova's still running about. You know, yeah, when Tamara moves on, it'll be around. I'm not sure yeah. what quite happened to my black HT, the first car I took down to Canberra. Way back in the day, I mean, the first, yeah. I think it was the first street machine event, which might have been the Street Machine Magazine Nationals. Yep. I remember turning up there in a black HT, and I'm pretty sure it was pretty laid back. I think we drove up to an industrial estate, put some yep, hay bales out. We did. Did some driving events with barely a foot between people and hay bales at you know, ridiculous speed. <laughs> had a ball. Everyone there had a great time, but yeah, it was a lot more, um, let's say, we're serious back then. I remember at that event, John Peterson, you'd remember him? Peterson, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was there doing... He made the event. He'd doing burnouts in the Zephyr. It's exactly right. There you That's go. Cool. I, yeah, I, I'm as old as you, mate. <laughs> we'll leave that one go for a bit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, mate. So, so what's, uh, what's the um, future hold for you? What do you, what do you got planned? Well, at the moment, yeah, there's nothing pressing. Um, I wouldn't be a car guy if there wasn't something else down my mind later on down the track. Mm. But, you know, at the moment, the Camaro is going to probably tie up a fair bit of time. It's 
Look at stuff up. And who knows? A couple of years down the track, they might get pulled apart and get a little bit dirt though. They might be ringing you for paint. You never know. There you go. No problem. All right, mate. Look, I really appreciate your time and uh, great catching up with uh, And you are, I mean, it's an overused word, but you really are a Summonats legend. You were the first real, real star of there. So thanks for your time. Hey, look, I appreciate it. And like guys like yourself, going back to the day, you've got to remember, you know, the Milton 80s and things like that. All those guys had my back. They were all great down there. And I know from the point of view of judging everything else, I think the Commodore caused a bit of divide along the way, but I'm sure hope that made look where, look, look where we went. Look where we went. Look exactly. where we are now. That's all started. Exactly right. You know, and the good part is, and not knocking guys in any other category, all all of my cars when competed, they've all had a a history of racing. Things have happened to them. I mean, I remember the Toronto, the very first year the LX was assembled. Our road trip down to Canberra, things went wrong on the trailer, got marked, no one knew, but we found an out of town panel shop. We pulled up there the day before we fixed the rocker on it, a door, a mud guard, painted it. Put it back on the trailer, can hand cut it. Went to the event and won the event. <laughs> you know, there's stories I, about I, every yeah. trip. I remember that story now you said that. I actually remember that story, yeah. yeah. You know, we pulled up at a panel shop and the guy had a heart attack thinking he wanted him to do the work. He yeah. said, our, had our own in-house team in the car, we can do it ourselves. He opened the shop up. I think he wanted Ken to stay there and work, but that thing was working ahead. We came to <laughs> Benjamin. Um, but he ended up you know, doing a tremendous job and how we got through the weekend as I'm sure there's a lot of stories down here with a lot competitors that have the same problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, mate. Thank you for your time. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Rob. That's good, Owen. Yeah, no, it was great. Good to talk to you. You're awesome. Yeah, you got it. You too. Thanks, Rob. See you, mate. Victor, being a third generation tomato farmer, how did you get into cars in such a big way? I had the old paddock thrashers going down the back there. My mate next door ended up with 52 of them. Got in trouble with the local council. Had to remove them all. But uh, one of them was a 55 Chevy we bought for 30 bucks that we wrecked. So I'll regret that for the rest of my life. But, uh, no, we used to have a lot of fun down the back. There's a lot of land down there. about 600 acres. And we used to have, you know, sliding around FJ bonnets were fantastic for sitting in and getting dragged behind the cars. And, and a lot of injuries with them days of cares. <laughs> this is, hey Benny, this is all the things that you weren't allowed to do, right? Oh, yeah, I wasn't allowed to do it when he was watching anyway. When he was yeah. building engines, <laughs> I'd sneak out. What was your first memories at Summonax? Well, I went down there and it was just a good car, good solid car show, biggest one I've probably ever been to. And then, uh, you know, they said, oh, there's a burnout contest. And I said, oh, that sounds like a bit of fun. And uh, <laughs> so I shot over there and I... Uh, lined up in the line and got out, got up to the start line and started the motor up. Mickey Athwood was me, uh, only just only just put the engine in out of uh, Graham Eason's dragster. And yeah, I right. started up and I uh, gave it a couple of revs and broke the blow valve. And I thought, <laughs> oh, well, that's the end of the career. Career's over. And uh, anyway, some guy jumps the fence and he says, what is it? And I said, oh, he said, it's a, it's a 13 mile nine mil. He said, I'll be back in a minute. So he comes back, grabs one, chucks it on the car, we go out there. And that's when we were doing it. Remember the old, the old straw bags and yeah, I do. Yeah, I so uh, Mickey walks up to the window and he says, "Listen, what you got to do is you just got to stand on the pole, pole noise in low gear, right? When that red light comes on on the dashboard, shift second gear and don't back off until you think you can stop." <laughs> so I did, and it ended up being a massive burnout. I don't think I've ever done one as good ever again. That's funny. 
Yeah, that's funny. Hey, how about the guys today? They're pretty crazy, aren't they, those burnout guys? Oh, skillful. They're absolutely skillful, mate. The guys that go out there nowadays, I mean, what Benny does at the drags and that in his Corvette, you know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm 63 today. So, uh, happy birthday, yeah. happy birthday mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. So, uh, you know, 63 year olds probably shouldn't be doing burnouts, but I still do burnouts, but I don't think those uh, chucking them into, into doughies, and that's probably not my scene anymore. But, um, mate, there is some fantastic, skillful drivers out there, and I'm in absolute awe of them, you know. And, uh, I mean, yeah, we, lost the, we lost the original burnout guy a little while ago, Johnny Peterson. Johnny Peterson, yeah. And, uh, sad day, very sad day, and, uh, you know, the story about his, and uh, when I went and first saw him, uh, I heard this thing in the background going, and I thought, oh, look at the smokers go over there. I looked at him and I said, oh, the guy's throttle stuck. He doesn't know what he's doing, you know, like, so. <laughs> anyway, so I walked over later on and I seen him. I just said, oh, you're lucky to get out of that one. And he says, what do you mean? And he said, um, oh, didn't you throttle stick? He said, no, why would you do that? He said, he said that was it. That was a burnout. And I said, oh, usually just two straight line ones and stuff like that. And I said, I might give it a go. I've got that black Chevy over there. I might give it a go. And that's how I go. He said, oh, good luck and the Chevy. <laughs> That'd be Peterson. That would be Peterson to a T. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? John Peterson was the original burnout guy, and the guys nowadays are just absolutely incredible. He was pretty incredible in his day. He but, sure uh, was. The guys nowadays are so skillful on those players. Unbelievable. Yeah. Do you think after? Do you think Victor, after your first burnout there, you were just like, I got to come back and do this again, definitely. <laughs> I didn't know what it was until I saw it on video. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, oh, yeah, I've just I don't know, I've done something stupid. I, I got the hay bales at the end and a couple yeah. of people, but they didn't care, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so with all of that, when did you actually get into like serious drag racing? Um, probably, uh, I was down at Surface Paradise and I was standing, in the, I was in the stands actually, and Johnny Parker, a mate of mine, said to me, uh, he said, your car's as fast as some of them, why don't you go down and have a shot? And I just said, oh, you know, have a couple of drinks, you know, I shouldn't, probably shouldn't go down. Anyway, he said, oh, yeah, go down. Anyway, next one he comes around up, he said, you're ended, you're ended. So I shot down there, right, it was called the street shootouts or something or other at the time. So I went down there and I'd done this great big burnout and backed up and then, you know, did the run and said, oh, you made it to the next round. I said, oh, you beauty, I'm in the next one, go do some more burnouts. And <laughs> so then I go out there again for the second one, I go for the second one, won the damn meeting. Got myself a trophy like this, got a message in, I got a little clip in the Courier Mail and I thought, geez, this is all right, this stuff. <laughs> I'm having an absolute ball. Here I am getting all this stuff. And that was the first time I, I sort of thought to myself, well, hey, hang on, this drag race, and, you know, it, it, it's a lot of fun and I love doing it. I've only been street racing up to that stage, you know, and getting myself in an awful lot of trouble. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, that was the first time in drag racing where I actually thought to myself, mate, there's something here. Yeah, and you obviously went on to be probably, I reckon, Australia's best-known drag race when you won plenty of championships and has yep. been, it's won a couple. So it's, uh, you, how have you really sort of uh, kept all that going? Uh, like you, it's, you've got a full business here where you're building yeah, cars yeah, and stuff, haven't massive, you? Yeah. We've got a massive workshop here that we slowly build up. Me and Benny have slowly built it up over the last few years. Um, you know, got a lot of big CNC shop, got a fabrication shop, got a carbon fibre shop, got a panel shop, got a shop, uh, got a 
10 car garage for all my collectible cars and then I've got an old rusty uh, how many how does that hold? 20. Uh, yeah, 20. 20 cars up the back there with all rust. I built an old rustic looking thing. You know, it looked like being there for 100 years, but it's only been there for a year. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. We, okay. We've parked all the old cars under and um, keep it going for sponsors. Without sponsors, I would, I'd be a tomato farmer still, you know what I mean? And uh, 1988, Castrol, um, big Bill Slagenhorse was his name. He worked for Castrol at the time. Ended up working for Gulf Western eventually, actually. But uh, uh, he said to that's me, where that tie is, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, he said to me, uh, he said, oh, would you like some product? And I said, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. And I said, oh, that sounds good to me, you know, I don't have to buy oil anymore. And he, anyway, the next day he comes down, roaring down, he says, I need to talk to you. So, like, you know, like spy-wise, we go over, we sit in the car and he goes, I've got to ask you something, what's that? And he said, are you a drug dealer? <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, I've heard you're a drug dealer. And I said, yeah. He said, where do you get all your money from to go drag racing? I said, I race up and down the east coast of Australia on weekends and make $1,500, $2,000 racing the rich farmers, all the rich sugar farmers. And I work, on the, I, work, I work all week on the farm for 80 bucks, 100 bucks with my mum and dad. And, you know, geez. And then he goes, oh, that's cool then, you know. Like, I mean, I can honestly sit here and say I've never spent one cent of any illegal money on any of my drag racing in all my years, and I'm damn proud of it. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Interesting you mentioned Castrol there. Obviously, you remember. I remember that team at the time. There was Larry Perkins. There was you, Dobbo. There was all those, that whole Castrol team. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah, that that was great in them days. I was spending about $9 million a year on motorsport in them days, which was Wow. Just incredible. That just would never ever happen again. And no. I mean, it's, uh, you know, sticker on car sponsorships are gone. It's all beta, you know, business to business nowadays. And yeah, of if course. you can't help them uh, sell more product or be a part of their business, you've got no chance. I think it would have been money well spent, though, because nobody can remember a time in the 90s and not remember that classic Castrol livery on, on a yeah. drag car or on a, on, a, on a supercar or anything like that. You know, yeah, yeah, cool. That's we're, right. Yeah. We're lucky enough we get to see it every day because they're all still sitting here in our works. And we we actually ended up we got the Alan Dobson fun yeah. car here as well. My brother-in-law drives that one. We'll have to uh, we'll have to we'll have to do another another podcast and get back on and give us a tour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think the words hoarding you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I do a bit of that, yeah, but it's not. Be, that would be not as cool as that. <laughs> in, in all these sheds in the workshop, that there'd be oh, 50 cars. Easy. 50 wow. Cars. All the old race oh, yeah. cars, got all the old street cars. Got the original '57 I bought when I was 17. Of Black Betty. Got Black uh, Betty. Got everything. Mate. Got a lot, yeah. lot of cars. Got every helmet, every fire suit, everything. He's Until then, come along, then all of a sudden, all these Datsuns started turning up. Datsuns, Toyotas. That's all right. I've, got a, I've got a Corvette fetish now, yeah. that he likes, so he's happy with that. Yeah, he's got a couple yeah. of Corvettes nowadays, but he's also building a Super as well. So. Yeah, no. yeah, nice. That's good. That's good. Did, you get, did you get much of a choice there, Ben, on to, to sort of get into cars, or was it kind of a, you know, yeah. this is what you're going to do, and that's it? <laughs> no, he gave me. I played soccer for a long time, and then I hated school so much. I thought, you know what, I got I got this father and all this cool stuff at home. I'm going to quit school and go work for him, and it'll be fun. You know, that was a lie. Um, cleaning, up, cleaning up dog poop and emptying bins for three years was not as fun as school. I can tell you that much. But. Um, no regrets today. I've had a great, great opportunities, great sponsors, great family, and I've had a great time. Years ago, when Benny was like, uh, you know, 11, 10, 11 years old, I'd come over in the morning. There'd be these two. He had a junior dragster, right? And uh, you know, I didn't. I lived a bit away at the time, and I'd come over and there'd be all these 
two burnout marks in the shed on the floor, you know. <laughs> and I'd say, how'd they get there? And he goes, oh, I don't know. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't today. I have no idea. And at, at, at my, uh, what birthday was it? 57. 57. At my 57th birthday, him and a mate of mine, Brad Parker, I mean, there was 200 people here, right, in the workshop, right? And Ben said to me, I'm going to do a, I'm going to go get the burnout car, go and do a burnout. I said, don't be so stupid. There's too many people here. Next minute, <laughs> in the middle of the table, right? They're still there now. The burnout marks are still there today, and I'm excited. <laughs> what he forgets to tell everyone is very precious about his flaws. You scratch them or beat them up. Yeah. And that. yeah so I go. thought I'd take advantage of it while he was drinking, <laughs> and it was his 57th birthday. I mean, he's making yeah. some skids in his yeah. shed just to annoy him. It's still that's there. Nice. The burnout marks are still there. It's fantastic. How many years later is that? Turned six years later. So, Benny, you're getting some pretty good results these days. So, look, you beat, beat the old boy a few times, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, Come on, yeah, talk, gonna, talk it up. <laughs> we, got a, we got a pretty good race. And, like, it, it's hard to explain to people because uh, me and Dad can be uh, third and fourth in the country or fifth and seventh in the com- country, but to race each other, the energy levels are just through the roof because mm. I don't feel like it, it, you got your John Zappiers and your Steve Ham and your Paul Moitz that can probably yep. whoop our butt every day of the week. But uh, I just don't feel they're drag racers. Like, they go out there and they just want to get A to B. They don't care about the wheel stand, the burnout, the crowd, where when I sit in a car, all I think about is the crowd. Like, I think I'm here to entertain. And and my mum tells me all the time I was born show off. And I love it. And I really do. Like, the crowd, the crowd fans and my sponsors are really the only reason I do it. Like, I've achieved everything I've wanted to achieve in a car. Um, yeah. In any car I've ever driven, I've, I've been number one. So I'm pretty happy with everything I've done. But um, just the race dad is just, it's amazing because, like I said, you know the burnouts are going to be half track. Uh, the result really doesn't matter to us. Um, it, well, he says it doesn't, but I know I heard his feelings a lot. But, um, <laughs> so what's yeah, the score? Hey, come on, what's the score? I stopped counting. Oh, shut up. I, I stopped yeah, counting when I put 20 ahead. Change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, my, my only wish in life was I started racing 20 years ago with him because uh, like, yeah, I missed all the greats like Scotty Cannon and um, Les yep. Winters and Peter Gratzes and all that. I never, I was always sitting in the grandstand, picking my butt, watching that, thinking, you know, <laughs> these guys all work too hard and don't have any fun while I was having fun. And nowadays, like I said, the competitiveness nowadays is just stupidly good. Like, don't take it away, but the showmanship 20 years ago was 10 times better and the, the barbecues in the pits and the, and a the lot less hate in the pits. Back when yeah. Dad used to whoop everyone's butt, people would still come and high-five him. So 100%. if I could race 20 years ago, I would. Yeah, yeah. like me and, Zap, me and Zap are really good buddies at Cheese. We argue a lot, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> he can't do nothing right. I can't do nothing right in his eyes. And I can, he can't do nothing right in my I, eyes. I tell uh, everyone that we're politicians at drag race nowadays. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But that's so interesting tell, what, what you said. Yeah, that is exactly how it is. Tell, tell me about it, Victor. Do you do you actually when you when you're about to set up out the lights, it goes green. Do you breathe for those few seconds, uh-huh. or you just hold well, your breath the whole time? <laughs> in your in your mind, you think you do, but I tell you now, when you get out down the bottom end, you mustn't because <laughs> it feels like you ran the quarter mile. Yeah. Sometimes, like you wouldn't think like shifting two gears and pulling a set of parachutes would wear you out, but yeah. after five runs in a day, you are stuffed. And I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I just know I get to the other end, pull the shoes before you run into something. <laughs> it's been fantastic, Tony. But just finally, um, what's coming up? What do you got coming up in the future? 
Now, the COVID thing's really destroyed drag racing in Australia. I mean, but we're doing a pretty good job of reckoning it ourselves, you know, by splitting, <laughs> yeah. by splitting, splitting the, the sanctioning bodies into two. Um, you know, the fact that Gary Miosevic, <coughs> pardon me, passed away, uh, yep. really put a big dent in Perth. Gary was just the most passionate man of ever. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. Racing, great, great guy. And, yep. uh, he, when he passed away, Perth sort of sunk into a hole and, and we don't really know what's going on over there all the time. And it was a massive part of drag racing and still always will be. And there's, you know, hundreds of races over there that get to race there that we don't get to go over there. But, um, I mean, yeah. you know, I think it's going to be uh, a resurgent. I, I think a lot of the guys that we're talking to nowadays want to ignore the fact that if the sanctioning bodies want to argue, you argue, we're going to run our own championship. Yeah. And we'll run, we'll run it no matter who sanctions it. I think that's the way that people yeah. are starting to think. But for 15 yeah. years of our drag racing, we thought Gary Miosevic and Dennis Sirimus were real assholes. And nowadays yeah. we pray every day that they were here to yeah. control it because uh, they would fix every problem we've got. Mate, if yeah. Dennis Sirimus was alive today, none of this would happen. If no. Gary Miosevic was alive, none of this would happen. It's just a shame yeah. to lose people like that that made the sport and built it up to what it was. And now it's sort of getting torn apart and it's. Uh, you know, Bob Jane's gone now, and, I mean, we're not really racing the cold, although it's getting upgraded. Sydney's getting upgraded. Adelaide, you know, we're, we're hopeful that we get the new track out there at um, Tail and Bend. Tail and Bend. And, uh, yeah, you know, we yeah, hope someone, yeah. someone buys Perth. Darwin's fantastic. The government backs it up there. The flattest track in Australia is in Alice Springs. Yep. I was going to say, you've raced in Alice, haven't you? Did you like that? Yeah, yeah. Got the yeah. longest, uh, it's got the longest breaking area in the world. You don't need to pull your chute. You just knock it into neutral and just roll to a stop for wow. 250 miles an hour. <laughs> I need to get you guys out there for Red Santa. That's probably my favourite event on the calendar. So Yeah, you can see how that would be a great burnout show. I've never <laughs> been to a town where everyone's so relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. The burnouts, the drag race and the show, and it's yeah. just such a great event. And, of course, Rocky's, gonna, Rocky's starting up shortly. It's going to be great. <laughs> Next yeah, no, it's good, mate. I think it's. I think the burnout scene nowadays, and uh, the way they chuck them in on the corners and stuff <laughs> like that is just absolutely madness. He loves it. He thinks that he loves it. Great. I want to take him in the vet one day, but he yeah. reckons never. He'll ever never go in it. No. <laughs> the, best thing ever, the best thing I've ever done lately in the burnout car was I had my fifty-seven down at uh, uh, my black. Street 57 down someone else. So one of the guys down there was a bit of a hot shot. He was trying to do a burnout in that little skinny bit before you come onto the big bit, right? And he tried to turn it around there and hit the wall, right? And I just said, oh, I said, I had nothing. So I went down there and I did complete donuts, two complete <laughs> circles, right, within that little bit and never hit the wall at all. You know, like, I mean, he's 10 times better driver than me, but he just had a bad <laughs> Hey, Benny, I just, I was saying there in the intro, you, you weren't there, and I said that nearly every person I interviewed, about, we just done a history of the whole summer nights and we checked, nearly everybody I interviewed, their first memory was a Victor driving around that place in Black Betty. So, yeah, 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 so yeah. he's not only infamous in drag racing, but in the whole yeah. Summer Nats. It's everything. one of the things I remember from when I was a kid attending Summer Nats. I remember seeing you, Victor, yeah. there in the car, and then he'd run to the burnout pad when you when you, we knew you were coming on because it was yeah. blow the leg, blow the leg hairs off your off your legs and <laughs> smash your eardrums out. And uh, what a spectacle! Yeah. You take home and you tell all your friends when you got home. Unbelievable. And I regret, I suppose, is the doing a burnout along the back straight where you weren't allowed to yes. do it. And chicken. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Chick was up there. <laughs> he was up there supervising, <laughs> and his, his windows were down in his Chevy, and he's wrapped his arm around the around the, the pillar and the verna. And I just you think that's going to stop me? <laughs> and old Chick's <laughs> hanging on the side of the car, you know. I mean, Chick Henry's done more for street machining in Australia than anyone ever will. Uh, oh, someone that's to have that insight to go and build, change what was just like a car show into an absolute, um, what would you call it? It's a, it's an it's event. A yeah. It's a festival. It's a festival. And, uh, yeah. you know, Chick deserves every ounce of uh, credibility he gets for turning the Australian street machines around. And uh, like me and him, we, we were head for head for a while there, down there because he didn't like me doing burnouts where I shouldn't have been doing burnouts, right? <laughs> but he did that. <laughs> yeah. He knew I was going to do it anyway, so he shouldn't have been hanging on. But, it's um, an authority thing with us, Brazers. Yeah. If they say no, we'll try. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love Chick. I love Chick. I just love Chick. You know, he's just nah, a good boy. He's done so much for this country's street machine scene, and you know, street machine magazine, and everything that's gone on has just been fantastic. And I've just been glad to be a little part of it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I really appreciate your time, and um, yeah, so, so really thankful for you to get fine. Yeah, right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope some of the next 2021 happens. <laughs> It'll happen. All good. We'll okay. be there. We'll be there. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We are here with Rod Wishart. What's happening, mate? G'day, Josh. Not much. Just another day, uh, another day of work, and we're um, uh, we're starting to sort of pop our head through with this coronavirus situation, and uh, uh, the automotive industry, uh, panel shops, has, uh, has been doing a little bit tough, but um, there's light at the end of the tunnel, so that's all good. There you go. Mate, before you get too much into that, I want to give people a little bit of an intro to you. So um, we're interviewing somebody. It's a little bit left field from our normal car guys, but uh, this guy is rugby league royalty, and which most cars, most car guys have an affiliation with sport, especially rugby league. And Rod also has an automotive business and absolutely loves cars. He grew up in Jeringong playing footy under Mick Cronin. And he debuted for the Illawarra Steelers in 1989 and was the first junior from the Steelers to ever play for Australia. He made 22 appearances for the New South Wales Blues before scoring, scoring 66 points from five tries and 23 goals as the main goal kicker for most of those games. He then made his first Australian test appearance in 1991 and in 92 helped the Australians retain the Ashes against England. In 94, he was selected for the Kangaroos, the Tour of England, which I bet was awesome, where he was the top point scorer with 174 points on that tour. In 95 and 96, he was awarded the BHP Medal for Illawarra Steeler Player of the Year, and he, was, and he also remained really loyal to the ARL through that whole Super League war and stayed with them. He also played 95 in the World Cup, scoring a try in the final. And before the merger with the Dragons, he holds the records of the Steelers for most tries, 68, most goals, 386, most points in the season, 176, and most career points, 1,044. And then in 99, he was part of that 25-man merger squad with the Steelers and the Dragons and played a handful of games mainly due to injury, retired after that 99 grand final loss to Melbourne, arguably the most controversial result ever. So there, mate, how's that for an intro? That was fantastic. I should, I should get interviewed by you all the time, Mark. <laughs> you feel better now? Just when I feel it down, I'll just give you a call. That's great, mate. I appreciate that. I thought I'd do that because most of the guys we do, uh, we have on here are car people, 
and uh, like just genuinely car people. And I thought um, when I was reading, well, I've known you for quite a while, as you know, but then I thought, yeah, there's so much good information there and uh, you've done, yeah, such a fantastic player. As a Dragons man, I've got a tear in my eye thinking about the crap <laughs> one. But... <laughs> oh, I've probably all erased that from my memory and um, <laughs> put it back up, guys. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a virus. <laughs> Jamie Ainsco. I know, Jamie Ainsco, right? <laughs> but, so, uh, mate, um, you're obviously a very loyal person from all that stuff that I said. So um, where'd that trait come from, I'm guessing, from your folks? Oh, I think so. I think you, um, you, you, you get brought up in a, in a certain way with, uh, with certain uh, characteristics, and I think loyalty is de- definitely one of them. I think you, you, you earn that when you play for, uh, for a team for a long time too, I think. You just uh, you have a certain camaraderie and, um, and there's certain, certain things that just build up and um, I think that's uh, that's uh, always been part of me. But I, I yeah. you have to you have to think. My, my parents. I was I was really uh, brought up well. A um, uh, little town in Jeringong, and one of six kids. And uh, back in those days, you just played and you played sport. I just uh, played. You know, cricket in summer was the, was the go, and you played rugby league in winter. And, and yeah. that was it. I grew up in a town where uh, any of your listeners were. Uh, the rugby league fans, or particularly Parramatta fans, and uh, Mick Cronin um, grew up in Jeringong too. The mighty Mick Cronin, and uh, and he lived in Jeringong and, and still played for Parramatta. And I always saw him, and it was really insp- uh, inspiring. Uh, he had the pub, mate. He had the pub, so that's why you see him when you went to the pub. Few <laughs> <laughs> skinners out uh, the back. Well, I was eighteen and over, mate. <laughs> but uh, Nick was one of those loyal guys as well and I guess that all sort of comes into play as well. It's a real salt of the earth type place Jeringong. I've, I've played a bit of sport there and you know um, I grew up in Jamboree so not far away really so a lot of that areas you know dairy farm areas everyone's really salt of the earth type good genuine people you know. Yeah yeah I think you're, you're right there Josh and um, yeah it's just uh, just in the in you know we're, we're neighbours at Jamboree um, dairy farming towns as well and mm. uh, yeah, I'm just uh, blessed to be able to live in Jeringong. And when I, uh, my rugby league career sort of, um, you know, progressed, I was still able to live in uh, a place like Jeringong and play in the best competition in the world. So yeah. uh, the Steelers the became, you know, available to play. They, uh, they formed in the early 80s. I started in 89 and I had 11 years playing in the, uh, in the top grade, NRL. And uh, it was ten years with the Steelers and one year with the with the Dragons. So uh, I'm just blessed, to be honest. Tell us about your first contract with the Steelers. It wasn't much money, I can tell you. <laughs> In those days, you know, we we still worked. Um, I had a couple of opportunities to go to other clubs as well. And as it turned out, I think the advice from oh, my parents kept me me grounded. Mick Cronin was there. There was a few other people that was influential. They said, "Look, I think it's the best best movies to stay." In Jeringong, where you can uh, you can still live with your family and still play in the in the best comp. The Illawarra Steelers were um, they were in a building sort of situation too. They sort of uh, they let go of a few of the older players and they were uh, starting to develop a, a few younger younger guys. So from the first from the word go, I was I had the opportunity to play first grade. So I got straight into the uh, thicker things. One of my uh, my first trial game was against the uh, the Canberra Raiders, and any of your listeners that um, um, that know yeah. the Canberra Raiders back in '89, back in those days, I played in the centre. So um, 
I played up against Mount Meninga. It was it was. <laughs> I went, Look out! Darren going Group Seven League, and you know what that is, Josh. Um, <laughs> to play against Mount Meninga, it was a it was a big big step. But did you ever tackling? I, I I tried. I bought in the I bought in um, the the troops to help me. Maybe I just <laughs> fell over in uh, in front of his legs and he tripped over. Um, I don't know whether you call that. Or not. Something I'm interested in is all, a lot of your career, but uh, when you played for the Blues, I bet that was a was a bit of an insight into that. And who was your coach there? Uh, I was really lucky to play uh, for New South Wales during the whole um, 1990s. Uh, first selected in 1990, uh, um, in my second year playing uh, in the you know NRL. There was, um, you know, we had a host of um, uh, of coaches, and uh, I think Gus Gould was—he was the ultimate um, psychologist. Technically, it was fantastic. He knew his stuff inside out, and um, any of the opposition players, wingers, he would tell me what, what they were, um, what they were capable. Of. And he actually, you, you learn so much from uh, from Gus, but he makes you feel good about playing. But, you know, I've got guys like uh, this Jack Gibson, who was the first coach. And the, the great Gad, uh, Jack Gibson is, uh, was fantastic. What a, uh, what a privilege it was to be coached by him. And then later on, there was uh, guys like Tommy Rudonikas. And, uh, and Tommy was, he was, he was fantastic. Technically, um, I don't think it worried him too, too much. And there's a little story about Tommy. We're talking about our, 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 the defence you want, you know, and the, the captain's there. It was Laurie Daly. He says, right out, Tommy, what sort of defence do you want? Do you want up and in, inside out, sliding, drifting? There's all sorts of defensive patterns. Yeah. And Tommy goes, whoa, 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 wait, nasty voice. This bloody state of origin, mate. All you got to do is just go up and just move past state of origin to a TT you can't you know, complicate origin um, it is it's all about playing for your jumper playing for your state and, and putting in as much as you, as much you can I think Queensland um, in the you know after that in the uh, 2000 and beyond they uh, with all the success they had they had so many guys that played Origin and they felt comfortable playing Origin that it, um, um, and it, they weren't overawed at all. And that makes a difference. When you, when you play a, a, a handful of, uh, of State of Origin games, it does take a, a fair bit of time to get used to. So um, luckily I got uh, 22 uh, in, under my belt and yeah. I look back and think uh, what, a, what a period of time and I just, mm. uh, just feel so privileged to be able to do that. I could imagine the highlights reel. You could watch them. They could make a million minutes worth of that, that whole decade, couldn't they? Really? Yeah, oh, without a doubt. So, uh, so lucky. Uh, so many things happened during the nineties too. Obviously, Super League came into uh, yeah. things, and um, uh, in my early days in 80, 89, we all had jobs, and uh, we worked during the day and uh, trained in the evenings, and uh, was still professional. We still got a bit, a bit of money, but nowhere near the, the amount we're getting. But Super League uh, came in, and um, and then that boosted. The, uh, the pay packets, but it sort of brought this air of professionalism too. That the, even the camaraderie and even the modern day player now that when he plays rugby league, he he knows that he could play for two or three clubs. So that mm. um, yeah yeah that side of things doesn't is it, sort of gone uh, un, unfortunately. But that's um, when there's more professionalism, yeah. the less uh, less loyalty there is, I, I suppose. But I you know I look back at even um, Australian. 
tours, the, the old kangaroo tour uh, doesn't exist anymore. And I, I was really lucky I, I, I was able to be in the last 1994 kangaroo tour. And, and you mentioned Origin, but I, I do think playing for your country is, is definitely the, uh, the pinnacle, without a doubt. Um, I'm a, you know, I live in New South Wales. I've watched State of Origin. It's probably got the most amount of hype. But at the end of the day, I'm a Australian yeah. and, um, and playing, for me, for playing for your country, putting the yeah. running gold jumper on, there's nothing like it. And especially playing it in England, either like the SCG or in England, must have been unreal. Yeah. Absolutely. So, again, so many, uh, so many great memories and opportunities to go and see um, different, different places and... Um, and I, I must admit, I look at my whole uh, career and, and I, I look at the, I don't know, I guess the ability that I was given, um, I definitely over, overachieved. There is no doubt. <laughs> no, I, don't say that. I, no, I, I must. I, I do. One, one thing I was good at was uh, testing myself out and playing uh, to my, you know, my, my top level um, and trying to put the bar up as high as I can. And so it's probably what you, everyone tries to, what you've got to try to aspire to do. Yeah, you know, test yourself out. See how much ability yeah. you have got. I've got to say, so after after a game though, when you'd go say like have a beer, I, I know that you're uh, <laughs> quite a quite a you were quite um, fit when you were obviously playing. Obviously, I can see probably still fit now, unlike myself. <laughs> you know, but uh, how would you put a pair of jeans on, mate, with those crazy quads that you had? <laughs> did you have to wear Did you have to wear shorts to the pub and the boys wore the jeans? Or what's the regular cuts now? I haven't Baggy ones before. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a bit of training does to you. And, um, um, and now, I guess when it, when you don't train as much, you, uh, yeah. you, you get back into the uh, into the normal normal jeans. But uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was going getting a pair of pants was wasn't an easy job for me. <laughs> there you go. I, like I, had, to, I had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I, I um. I saw last year you were actually um, called into the Aussie camp. So you still do a little bit of stuff with them? Oh, occasionally, um, and and the Origin as well. They do try and uh, bring in old, sort of older people to try and uh, get the uh, the younger guys to uh, to really understand what it was like, the culture. Uh, yeah, yeah, get the culture going, and um, I don't know, and also just to. Um, just motivate a little bit more as well and, and, and to make sure that these guys, these modern-day players, understand that they've got a responsibility. Uh, they're not just playing for themselves. They're playing for people uh, in their whole state and their, and their country and they've got a, a responsibility. It wasn't just uh, them now. It's, there's a whole heap of people that, and players that have played before them that they've got to try and do justice as well and I think that's what the coaches try and do. And, uh, and while that... Is good. I reckon it's great for uh, for uh, had the opportunity to uh, to talk to these these guys and uh, and they are professional players. They're they're strong and they're fit. And I'm just lucky I'm not playing these days because geez, I'm not, I'm definitely not six foot six. Yeah. Not kilos, so. Oh yeah. Hey, mate, some of those wingers, those wingers today, they're as big as the front rowers back in your day. Mate, yeah, definitely. But uh, it would definitely be a challenge, right? So actually, I want to ask you something here now. So. A lot of players end up lost at the end of their careers. I want to know what you're doing now and how did you get into that? Okay, yeah. Well, I was a little bit lost, to be honest. I, um, um, I be, Before uh, going to play with the Steelers, I, I, I went to Wollongong Uni. I did uh, sports science. I, I wanted to own my own business. Um, my wife, Gil, and, uh, and, uh, and I had four kids in four years. 
and they were all quite young. Uh, starting my own business uh, during that period of time probably wasn't the, uh, the, the smartest idea. So I worked for a, uh, a company that, uh, a distribution company that supplied to uh, hospitality, so pubs and clubs. So I was, a, I was a rep, went around pubs and clubs and uh, I did that for uh, three or four years and I, I guess that gave me the idea about distribution and then an opportunity presented itself um, to uh, buy into an um, automotive paint uh, distribution business in Wollongong and, um, and that's where, where we are at the moment. And it was funny how I got into it because uh, there was a Andrew Eddinghausen, who a lot of you guys will know, will know um, a great rugby yep. league player for the, for the uh, Cronulla Sharks, and he's got a fishing show as well. I could probably tell you a story about that later on, but uh, <laughs> he gave me a call and um, he said, there's a mate of his has moved down to Jeringong, and uh, would you say hello? He's got kids the same age as you and different things. And uh, so I, I did. Uh, his name was Jeff Martin, and he had a Glazerit distribution in Carringbar. So... He introduced the industry and um, before we know it, both of us um, went into the uh, to this distribution um, business called B&L Supplies in Wollongong and uh, and the rest is basically history. We turned it into Wish Arts Paint Solutions. Uh, I, I bought Jeff. Jeff moved up to the Sunshine Coast. Um, I bought him out and then I introduced a, another guy who, who was instrumental. His name's Ben Grimpton and... and um, as business partners, we've uh, I think we've progressed uh, reasonably well. He's an he's an account. I'm an ex footy player. Combination selling automotive paint. Um, <laughs> uh, that was uh, 15 years ago, Owen. And you were probably in the era era when uh, I you know I had to I had to go to as many conferences, functions. I was yep. a De Beer yep. distributor and a Glazer distributor as well, and that's where I got to. Uh, uh, to know you, Owen, yeah, and um, and I think that was the uh, the uh, because my knowledge on automotive paint on a scale of one to ten was not point something. So I worked at all that, but I, I, I worked hard to um, learn as much as I could. Yeah, you had. yeah, and, uh, and I did. And I don't know. I don't know where I am on the scale at the moment. Maybe in the ones or twos. But uh, anyway. no, no, no. You're a lot bigger than you got it. You've got a really good business now. You cover a lot, lot of area. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've we've uh, developed the business quite well. We uh, employ over twenty people, and um, and the industry is fantastic. I must admit. I look back on the, on these fifteen years, and um, I've got so many great customers, um, uh, suppliers, and. Um, and it's it's all about the people. And uh, yeah. if someone told me twenty years ago what I'd be doing now, I'd say that no, you, you you don't do that. You don't get into something you just don't know about, or you haven't got any uh, you know immediate passion about or anything like that. But but I did, and you develop things over time, and 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 the people, and it is all about the people and the friends that you develop and uh, relationships you build. Yeah. So. You obviously seen a lot about cars, and were you ever into cars? And what are you into now? On a scale of one to ten, I was an all point zone. But now I'm up there, mate. I've, yeah. You go into so many panel shops, and you see every second panel shop is always working on on a car. And, of course. Uh, and I, I, I genuinely um, developed an interest, and uh, I, I got a liking for the um, for the American muscle car, I, I guess. And the Mustang really stood out to me, and 
And at one stage, and I still do, I I want a car um, the same age as me, a 68 model. And, We're going to uh, get you one. You know that. We're going to get you one. Yeah, you know that. Okay. Well, it doesn't have to be a Mustang. And if anyone is out there has got some, <laughs> uh, some ideas, 68 models, uh, Camaros would be would be good too. And um, But oh, I'm right. open to any ideas. But the uh, the idea of driving around in a car, same age as me, just going for a cruise, <laughs> I'm, that, that's what a, that's what a pearl is to me. When are we going to get you to summer that? Uh, well, there's a box I haven't ticked yet. Uh, and I'm, and I, I do. I guess in life you want to try and tick as many as, uh, but but I'm uh, I'm open to that, Owen. Righto. Totally. You're right. so it's it's yeah. totally so, something yeah. else. You you get there and you you try and any imagine what it's like in your head. Any sixty-eight models down there? Yeah, we've plenty down yeah. there, mate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you sorted. You weren't really saying like in the cars that before. It's a bit of a shame. All those times driving from Jerringong to Footy through the climb of Benz, you could have been taking advantage of that in a, <laughs> in a sixty-eight know, Mustang. Now it takes. <laughs> then it used to take me nearly an hour. Now it's like thirty-five oh. minutes. All right, mate. So what's the future hold for Rod Wishart? I do. I, I guess life is all about. Um, challenges and different things and um but uh I, I guess at this stage i'm uh, i'm really happy with what i'm what i'm doing at the moment my kids uh, i've got four and they're all still here actually they're all in there oh they're young adults and um um i don't think they're in a hurry to leave but i'm yeah keen to you know develop um and see what see what they uh, get up to my oldest son is with the business as well so and i don't know i just um I'd like to think that there's a there's a few more challenges out there for me, and it's funny because rugby league uh, goes for you know let's let's call it like an uh, like, uh, 11, 12 year period. I've yep. done 15 years with this, and yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I do. I, I, it doesn't seem right to be uh, to just abandon them because the business is, is in is in good hands. We've got some good people there, but um, yeah, there, there is some challenges I would like to do. But you've got to make sure the uh, the, the bills get paid as well. Yeah, that's for sure, especially with four kids. <laughs> One good challenge I can tell you will be uh, surviving a summer that's weekend. It's something else. I'm oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Righto. We're going to get you there. All right, mate. Look, I really appreciate your time. It's great having you on. And, um, yeah, so awesome. Fantastic, guys. Uh, appreciate it. And um, as I said before, uh, Owen, the, the people uh, in the industry are the uh, – uh, the most important. You were the one of the uh, first guys I've ever met. So, um, and from then on, it just got got better and better. So, um, <laughs> better and better. <laughs> I, I like that. Right <laughs> I mean, right so you went you went straight to the you, you went straight to the bottom. <laughs> Everything you've done for the industry is, uh, is great too. Uh, so, good on you, mate. Thanks, Rod. Right. Thanks, Rod. Appreciate it, mate. No worries. Cheers. Take it easy. Bye, mate. Mate, what a show. What a show. We've had some top guests on there. We've had Rob Beecham, obviously, pioneer of the VL scene, you could say, you know, by, by just by accident, by going and being crazy and buying a brand new VL and then doing it up in back those days. And then obviously yeah. Rod Wishart, Australian rugby league legend, you know. And then obviously Victor Brain and Ben Bray, those guys are unbelievable. We, the, the guests, we, each week, Webby, it's getting harder to, to top the... I was going to make that comment, like when we first started this, I was thinking, oh, who are we going to get on? We've got to keep it interesting, but... Boy, those those three guys tonight, they were just absolutely awesome and, and absolutely pioneers or, or royalty at their own at their own events. So yeah, really, really good. And Victor and Ben, they were just so funny. I'm looking forward to doing a longer interview with them down the track. 
So don't forget, Summer Nats 2021 tickets are on sale now and entries as well. Well, it's interesting. Last year I had people ringing me only a couple of weeks out. They said, oh, I can't get in. You've fallen out. I said, that's how it is. So, yeah, we can only take so many cars, so get your entries in. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and wherever you get your podcast from, as well as our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. How about next week? It's uh, number ten. That was. Uh, I was just. I was hoping you'd lead to that. Absolutely, number ten. <laughs> I uh, you've got to keep your eyes peeled for that one because we're going to have a bit of a cracker show. We're not going to reveal just yet nah, who's going to awesome. come on. Absolutely, it's our tenth show. I didn't think we'd make it through the first one. I thought they would have pulled the power <laughs> plug out. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, it's all gone really, really good. I mean, really enjoyed it. All right, that's it for Podcast 9. Thanks, Owen. Thank you. Cheers. No worries. We'll see you guys next Tuesday.